0: Well, hello and welcome to the Highway Community Podcast. Thank you so much for being with us today, wherever it is that you are tuning in from. If you'd like to connect with our church more, uh, whether you're here in the Bay Area or not, I invite you to go to highway.org and either click our Engage page to find out more about our different ministry areas or click our Connect page uh, to connect with one of our uh, pastors. Whether you're here in the Bay Area or not, uh, we'd love to connect with you as we seek to live on mission Uh, in our schools, neighborhoods, workplaces, and among the least of these. Uh, Well, good morning and happy Mother's Day. Uh, I'm so excited to get to be here in this space today. Uh, You know, last week we started talking about chaos and water. Uh, both of which got me thinking about the fact that our family is about to go to Disneyland for the first time. Those two words, chaos and water, just feel really connected to that experience for some reason. We were saving up to go summer of 2020, uh, but you know how that went. And so this trip has been like four years in the making. Uh, And Brittany and I are what I like to call super planners uh, because it's fun to have fun, but you've got to plan for the fun, if you know what I mean. (laughs) Any other super planners out there in podcast land, I see you. Uh, Well, if you're a super planner, Disneyland is like your Mount Everest. You know, there's entire YouTube channels and podcasts and blogs about how to get the most out of your Disneyland experience. And it's like, it's taken over our life a little bit. And I'm starting to get that feeling that all this Disneyland planning is like when we made a birth plan for when our oldest was born. Uh, you know, that document, you spend hours pouring over that come to find out you actually have no control over you know, where all the labor and delivery nurses are like, Oh, you're so cute that you made this. Actually, what's going to happen? It's going to Happen when it's going to happen, no matter how much time you spent on the internet reading articles about how to have a smooth, quick, and minimally painful delivery. Uh, You see, there's some chaos, there's some things outside of our control that we just need to learn to embrace. Uh, For the super planners out there, that's called being adaptable. I know it's really hard. We can plan a time to talk about how hard it is, you know, maybe in the coming weeks. Uh, There's some chaos that we need to learn to embrace, but there's some chaos that God wants to transform. The kind of chaos that creates so much pain and brokenness in the world and in our lives. The kind of chaos that distorts how we see God and erodes how we see and relate to each other. And that's what this series is about. Chaos and water. And last week, John started us in Genesis 1 and 2 in the creation story, and we saw how the chaotic, formless, and void waters were transformed into seas full of life as God's Spirit hovered over them. The presence of God's Spirit transformed chaos into life. And in the Hebrew, it's literally different words for water as the passage goes on. God changes it. And in Genesis 2, there's a river flowing from the Garden of Eden, bringing that transformed water of life to the rest of the world. And in this series, we're tracing that theme of water, you know, what happens around wells, springs, and rivers as it bubbles up, and what that has to say about the kind of change, healing, and life that God wants to bring into the world. And the passage that we're looking at today has to do with the chaos that can come from how we try to process pain, cultural pain, relational pain, identity, pain, personal pain, because have you noticed how those can just become a cycle? People in pain, creating more pain, (laughs) and it just seems to keep going. We're going to look at a moment in scripture where all of these dynamics are going on and what happens when God shows up at, surprise, surprise, a spring in the desert. And now there's some challenging things in this passage. There's some heavy things in this passage, but I want us to look at what's really happening here and to be able to do that humbly with an openness to what God might want to say to us through it, because there is life giving water here. As we get started this morning, would you pray with me? God, I pray that you'd open the scriptures up to us. I get that your spirit would be with us now. And even in this moment, starting to calm some of the chaos that lives inside all of us. God, would you give us a vision for your love and your grace this morning? I pray these things in and for your name. Amen. Our passage this morning is Genesis chapter 16, the whole thing. So get ready. If you've got a copy of the scriptures with you, you can go ahead and turn or tap your way there. This is a passage about three people a married couple named Abram and Sarai, who we know later on as Abraham and Sarah, and a member of their household, a young Egyptian woman named Hagar. Hagar was a member of Sarai's house staff, for lack of a better phrase. Uh, like a maidservant or lady-in-waiting sort of a situation. And, and this is a passage about trying to get pregnant. They talk about chaos. And see, just before this in chapter 15, God made a promise, a covenant with Abram, that God would create a nation, a people through him. Abram, practical guy though, was like, problem, I've got no kids. Enter chapter 16. <laughs> and There's two things at stake here. Uh, a ton of deeply deeply ingrained cultural values around having kids and your identity and your worth. And now it would seem God's promises on the line, hanging on if Abram and Sarai can have a kid or not. I also want to say, we're going to have to suspend some modern judgment on a cultural practice that come to find out actually was pretty widely accepted across ancient Near Eastern cultures. Because if we don't, We run the risk of looking at this passage in a way that's pretty one-dimensional. And I want to complicate that for us a bit. Because I want us to be able to see ourselves in it too. Let's take a look at Genesis chapter 16, starting in verse 1 through the first half of verse 4. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian slave. Now our English translations keep this same word here throughout the passage. Uh, But just like water in Genesis 1, the Hebrew word changes as the passage goes on, which is kind of tied to like my whole point today. So we'll come back to that for sure. Uh, She had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. And so she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. Cool, bro. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. So God made a promise to Abram. And so far, it wasn't really working out. And not only was that hard to take, probably, but let's talk a little bit about what Sarai's facing by not being able to get pregnant. There was a massive amount of cultural pressure on her to be able to conceive. Kids were seen as a sign of God's blessing. And if you were a good person, uh, that you were a good person. And not being able to have kids was seen as a sign of God's judgment against you. And so a woman who couldn't have kids, it was never assumed the problem might actually be with the dude, but that's another conversation. Uh, And so a woman who couldn't conceive, the longer it took for her to conceive, the more questions, the more assumptions about her, about her character would start to circulate. You know, the most common would have been that she was sleeping around, which in that time could get you killed. And so you can see why. This is a big deal to Sarai. you can hear it in her words in verse two. The Lord has kept me from having children. And can you imagine the kind of pain that perspective must have caused her? The kind of questions it must have led her to ask. What's wrong with me? Why is this happening to me? And maybe you've felt the same way before. And so Sarai proposes a plan that sounds crazy to us but actually was pretty common in Mesopotamian cultures. There was no IUI, there's no IVF, there's no surrogacy programs. And so this was kind of an accepted next best option. And I just want to make a couple couple observations here that can help us see where this chaos cycle can come from. Because it can be so easy to pass judgment on situations like this that are so outside of the context that we're used to. But here's really at the core of what's going on. Zerai's uh, in this really deeply painful and shame-inducing situation. And she and Abram are trying to work through the fact that that's directly connected to the thing that God said he was going to do through them. And so they start looking at what options they have in the toolkit to solve the problem and hopefully stop the pain. Doesn't seem so strange, does it? And there's an observation to be made here uh, that the way Abram and Sarai go about trying to make what God said would happen, happen, is through a broadly accepted cultural practice. Uh, And the thing I have to say about that is, is that the way God would have done it? What this... Passage opens up for us to consider is that the covenant people of God can pursue the promises of God in ways that are affirmed, valued, or accepted by the broader culture, but that are actually outside of the uh, the way God wants to, to pursue those things and create a whole lot of chaos, create a whole lot of pain in the process. And I wonder what would have happened if Abraham and Sarah would have stopped to listen before they acted. If they would have said, God, this hurts, God, this is what you promised, God, this isn't happening, <laughs> where are you in this, what do you want us to do? I-, I wonder how much pain in their lives, and what we will read in just a second, in Hagar's life, could have been prevented if they listened before they acted. I-, I wonder how much pain I've experienced, or that I've created in the life of others. It could have been prevented if I'd have done the same thing. The passage gives us some insight into what's going on here for Abram and Sarai. Take a look back at verse three. So, after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. And that phrase built around the words took and gave is the same phrase from the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3 where Eve took the fruit of the tree and gave it to Adam. Uh, This is the scripture's way of saying, this is the same thing happening here. (laughs) Just like Adam and Eve took that fruit to put themselves in God's place to decide for themselves what was right and wrong, good and evil, Abram and Sarai do that same thing here. They put themselves in God's place decide what is right or wrong for themselves except this time it's not a piece of fruit it's a person it's a person and you see so much chaos and so much pain gets created gets perpetuated when we put ourselves in God's place instead of listening instead of waiting on instead of surrendering to God's plan so when we decide for ourselves what's right, and what's wrong, what to do instead of stopping to listen first, Is it, we can be so sure of what God would do that sometimes we act before we listen. And I wonder sometimes if we confuse our culture's perspective about what to do, about how to deal with our hurt, about how to deal with our pain, about how to solve our problems with God's perspective. I wonder if we get those confused sometimes. And how much more chaos and pain that actually creates. When was the last time you just stopped and said, this hurts God. This is what you said you wanted in my life. This is what you said you wanted the world to be like. It's not going that way. What are you doing? What do you want me to do? I mean, I got ideas. We've always got lots of ideas, don't we? But I want to know what you want. Even if it's not what I want right now. And listening before acting is so hard, especially when it's hard, especially when it hurts. But those are the places in our lives that God wants to meet us most. And yet what I've found in my own life is that often those are the places I don't really want to listen. I, I, I don't want to hold what I want to do open-handedly. I, I don't want to surrender it. And like I, I just want to say I, I don't want this to be a do-better message. This is really a we're all broken and need help message. And the good news is that the fullness of God's love and presence is available to us all the time, no matter what. Because God's love for us isn't dependent on our performance. And so we can ask ourselves hard questions and not be afraid of what we find. And things unravel pretty fast from the moment Hagar gets pregnant. Let's pick things back up in verse 4. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. This word despised means lowered in esteem. Hagar thought less of Sarai now that she was pregnant. You could imagine that that would change the dynamic between the two of them. She's not treating her with the same respect, and it's just adding to the pain that Sarai is experiencing. And Watch what happens next, verse 5. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Have you ever been there? You feel bad, and so it's got to be someone else's fault. This happens to me all the time. See, This is what the pain of shame can do to us. Because imagine the shame for Sarai in this moment. She can't conceive, and now someone in her household is carrying her husband's child that she couldn't carry and is using that to make her feel less than. She, shame wants us to perpetuate the cycle. I feel shame, so now I'm going to make you feel shame. And Sarai blames Abram. It's your fault. You are responsible. And this is where the wheel, the wheels really come off. Verse six, your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, and so she fled from her. So Sarai took Hagar and gave her to Abram. And now Abram takes her and gives her back. I told you the word translated here as slave changes in this passage. Up until this point, I I like how other translations capture this word as maid or maidservant. Slave has such strong connotations here, especially in the U.S. But in verse 6, it's exactly the right word. See, up until this point, they've used the Hebrew word for maidservant to talk about Hagar. But here, Abram uses the word for property for a thing you possess. It's like they've taken away Hagar's humanity, forgotten that she's a person made in the image of God, just like them. And so Sarai acts on all that shame, all that pain, all that fear, all that anger. She must feel about the situation, and she sends that pain right back out and abuses hagar to the point where she decides it's better to run away as a single pregnant woman than to stay so much chaos so much the same pattern over and over again and this is a series about chaos and water about how god transforms the chaotic waters into the potential for life And we're looking today at the chaos that can come from trying to process the pain we experience. And there's three things I want us to see in what we've just read. First is our human tendency to extend the same kind of pain that we're experiencing. To keep the cycle going. And I'll add whether we mean it or not. I think sometimes we're just not even aware that we're doing this, but it's leaking out. And that can be the gift of passages like this. Is it give us a chance to reflect for a minute? Uh, Our tendency to continue the cycle in the second is uh, to act before we listen. To put ourselves in God's place and decide for ourselves what's good or bad, right or wrong, what we should do. Which as we see here can lead us to deny the image of God in each other. Dehumanize each other in the way we speak or act towards each other. This is so much of the chaos going on in the world right now, isn't it? Responding to hurt with more hurt, Trying to solve our problems or make our pain stop in ways that, while they may be broadly accepted, actually sit outside of what God wants to do. We can even lose sight of the beloved image of God in everyone. Even ourselves. And see, I think this kind of chaos breaks God's heart, not just because of the impact that it has, but because it's reflective of the places in our lives that hurt, the places that God wants to meet us, the places that God wants to be present with us, how about we're doing it on our own? It's God's presence over the waters that transforms them. And the same is true in us. Hagar fled from Sarai. It was better for her to take her chances alone as a single pregnant woman in the desert wilderness and to stay And by best estimate, she was about 70 miles from where she started when God met her near a spring. Uh, That's like walking from here uh, in the Mountain View Sunnyvale area all the way to Monterey. Uh, I bet it took her a long time. I bet she was trying to process what happened. I bet she had a lot of questions. If she was wondering where God was, I bet he seemed far away. I wonder how many of us have ever felt that way before. And verse 7 tells us the angel of the Lord found her. If your translation has the word LORD in all caps, that's a clue that it's the Hebrew word Yahweh. This is the angel of Yahweh who doesn't show up that many times. This is the embodied presence of God on earth, either as fire or as a person. See, this is a Moses at the burning bush kind of moment. This is God himself not a messenger. This message is called Waters of Justice. And it's really turned into a message about the brokenness and the broken cycles that sit underneath so much of the injustice, so much of the mistreatment of people. Uh, but we're look, But if we're looking for a picture of God's heart for those who have suffered injustice, I don't think we need to look further than Genesis 16. Where God himself shows up for someone who probably wasn't even looking for him. An Egyptian maidservant mistreated by God's own covenant people and left wandering around in the desert. And look at verse 8. And He said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? And for the first time in this whole passage, Hagar is called by her name. Abram and Sarai only refer to her by her role. But God calls her by her name. God knows her. That Egyptian maidservant wandering in the middle of the desert, God knows her. God comes to her. What could it look like for us to be this kind of living water for those suffering, for those suffering from injustice? Hagar says she's running away from Sarai. And this is what God says. Look at verse 9. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. Does anyone else find this incredibly unsatisfying? I mean, really? Go back. Submit to the authority of the person who was mistreating you. It doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem just. And I want us to feel this tension. And remember that we can be so sure of what God would do that we act before we listen sometimes. Uh, we can confuse the prevailing cultural voice and perspective about what to do or how to respond with what God is actually saying. Because, as much discomfort as I feel with this verse, I got to remember Jesus said this in Matthew 5. You've heard it that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard it <laughs> that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. <clears throat> But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And we can be so sure of what God would do that we act before we listen sometimes. God knows, sees, and loves each person. He's present to those who are suffering. He's present with you in your suffering and he knows what you need. And that's why there's not a one-size-fits-all action plan for this stuff but an invitation to listen before we act. God tells Hagar to return, to go back and and to stop her contribution to the pain, to submit to Sarah's authority instead of holding her in lower esteem because someone has to make the first move. Someone has to break the cycle. God makes the same promise to Hagar that he made to Abram. That her descendants will be too many to count. And in there, he's also saying, I'll keep you and this baby that you're carrying safe. And God says, name him Ishmael. So the two of you always remember that I hear you. It's going to be hard. This whole thing is set up for family conflict with his future brothers. He'll be the strong and stubborn type. So he'll probably need it. And then Hagar's the first person in the scriptures to give God a name. Verse 13, she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. God sees those who are suffering, knows them, loves them. Is right there, presence in the midst of it. Look, because it's his presence that transforms that chaos into the potential for life. In God's presence, all of the chaos that Abram and Sarai created, at least in this moment, starts to change. Where Hagar had been considered less than human, God saw the person called her by name in God's presence Hagar made the choice that Sarai and Abram didn't to listen to surrender taking matters into her own hands even if it was justified even if it was understandable And, and at least in this moment some of those perpetuated cycles broke And the chaos they created had the potential for a different future. Are you trying to process some pain today? Are there parts of your life that seem stuck in this never-ending cycle of returning hurt with more hurt? What chaos feels real and present to you right now? And can you just take a moment and a deep breath... And remember that God wants to be present with you in those places too. That he sees you. He knows you. He loves you. As I've been prepping this message, 1 Corinthians 13 has really been on my heart. I want to leave us with these words from someone who, like Abram and Sarai, had a before name too. Saul of Tarsus who also thought he was doing what God wanted him to do and took matters into his own hands to shut down this group of crazy people called The Way who followed the teachings of Jesus. And he created a whole lot of pain and chaos in the process. But God took that chaos and transformed it into something beautiful. And Saul, who became Paul, wrote these words to the church in Corinth. I want to share them again with us now to encourage us and to remind us of how God is present with us, no matter where we are, no matter what we're struggling with, no matter what kind of chaos we may have created, to remind us of how the God who is love is present with us too, because this isn't a do better message. This is a we're all broken and in need, but there is good news today message. It's 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clinging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. It doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud, it doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that your love never fails. That your presence hovers over the chaos of our lives, hovers over the chaos of this world. And in your time and in your way, you transform it into the potential for life. You take our brokenness and you make it beautiful. God, for my friends listening today who are processing some real hurt, God would they know your presence with them. That you see them, that you know them, that you love them, that there's no chaos that we can create that you can't undo. That we're safe to submit these questions, to explore them openly, humbly, honestly. because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you for that truth. We love you. We thank you for loving us first. Pray these things in and for your name, amen.